Today we're in Joshua chapter 7. If you'd open your uh, Bible, if you brought one, or look it up on your phone, Joshua 7 is a difficult chapter. Uh, It's got very little cheery, positive, um, warm fuzzies. And so if I uh, seem to take the slant that this is serious business, well, that's just the nature of the text. Uh, If you know the story of Achan and the children of Israel, um, that's what this chapter is about. I um, would like to begin with a word of prayer and just maybe uh, uh, a request that you would uh, prepare your heart. Maybe God would speak to you about your past or about your future and about this church's future and what God wants for all of us. And um, because you really sometimes cannot move forward unless you recognize where you've been. And uh, so if you would, please bow with me in a word of prayer. Our Father, we um, come before you and we ask uh, in all brokenness, in all humility, that you would cleanse us from sin, that you would cleanse this church from sin, uh, that we would prepare ourselves for a new era uh, as we wait for a pastor. We pray that you would make the text clear to each and every person here today, young, old. It doesn't matter, Father. We're uh, your children, and we present ourselves to you and want to hear your voice, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Dad, what's that bump in the tent floor? I kind of hear something there. That's not the, like the rest of the rock that's around here. If you don't know what that means, we'll just have to work our way through the text here. To give you a little bit of background, uh, defeat is never so close as to when you are victorious in your life. Just because the children of Israel won at Jericho, just because they had a great victory, that doesn't mean that failure isn't right around the corner. Um, I'll say to the young man, Jordan, you just got baptized. You better hold on to your britches. (laughs) Uh, Listen, God attacks people. Uh, right after uh, they make a commitment to be baptized, before they make a commitment to be baptized. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're thinking about trusting Christ because you've come to the end of yourself, like the song we just sang, you better fasten your seatbelt because the way of God is not always uh, paved with gold, right? Uh, in this particular text, uh, the setting is this. They've been following for 40 years in the wilderness. They were delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians. The behavioral expectations are up. God gives some instructions, and they don't follow them. They saw the daily provision of God for 40 years. They heard about the parting of the Red Sea and the conquest over Pharaoh and the plagues 
and how the waters were made pure and how God led them by a fire and smoke and most of them lived that. And now they've seen the walls of Jericho come down and they're learning new about the power of God, something that they haven't seen in a whole generation. Maybe we could say that about our church. When's the last time we saw the Spirit of God fall on our church? I hear stories that there were great things back in the yesteryear, right? And maybe for some of you, it's been 20 years, 30 years, 50 years since you really have seen the power of God in, in your lives. Maybe it's been last week. If you're one of the people who, who experiences the, the power of God, uh, you should count yourself to be blessed. Experientially, we're, we're not seeing much of that in America today, and globally, the Western Christianity is going down quickly. We are not really in an age of revival, and if anybody has done any history of the Christian church, uh, we're not really in an age of revival right now. People might actually try to tell you that, but uh, this is not what revival looks like. What does that look like? In this particular case, they just experienced the power of God. There was Jericho, a fortified city. All they did was walk around and shout, and the walls came down. Joshua is 80 years old. You know, when you read the kids' books, go home and look at your children's book, open up to Joshua, he looks about 35, right? They make movies, cartoons. Joshua, he's 30. 35. Listen, Joshua is 80 years old. It, we know from the scriptures in Joshua 14, 7, that when he started with Moses, he was 40. Now he's 80. Caleb is 85. They're the sole survivors that have made it all the way through the wilderness. You know, sometimes we think that the uh, battles are for the young, right? Well, tell that to Abraham, who was 99 when God told him he was about to have a child, and 100 when it, when it was born. And Sarah was 89 and 90 when it was born. Noah was 500 years old. David took over the kingship at 30 and fought battles for 40 years until he was 70. Noah was 500 years old when he started building the ark, and it took him 100 years, and he finished when he was 600. Hey, today we value... Uh, the young, ingenuity, flexibility, uh, innovation. We want to hire young people because the old people just can't even download an app. Listen, but when God wants to do something significant, oftentimes in the scripture, he's looking for the old person. Abraham Lincoln was 56 when he became president. Ronald Reagan was 69. Washington was 67. John Glenn went into space at 77. And Diana Nyad, on her fifth attempt at the age of 64, became the first person confirmed to swim from Cuba to Florida without a shark cage. Nelson Mandela was elected president at 75. John Pemberton invented Coca-Cola at age 55. Anybody got a good idea for a patent? 
Listen, sometimes we want to retire and go to Boca Raton. I want to spend my time on the beaches hobnobbing with the millionaires down in Florida, spending their retirement income. I don't think there's much for retirement in the Bible. Now, in this particular passage, think about the context. They've crossed over the Jordan. God gives them one command in two parts. You're going to go in there. In chapter 6, verse uh, 18, it says, By all means, abstain from the accursed things. Chapter 6. Uh-oh. Let's go. There we go. Abstain from the accursed things. Two parts. There's stuff in this world that you should not touch. There's stuff in this world that you should not touch. There's people that you shouldn't go near. There's things that are bad. And the secondly, God says, if you come across any gold or silver, copper or iron, it's mine. It goes into the treasury. That's the only thing about physical interaction with stuff. <clears throat> Abstain from the accursed things. People are dying. The time is war. People are homeless. <clears throat> it says that uh, the people of God would become accursed if they take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold, vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. Right? Sue came into my office a couple weeks ago. I was sitting at my desk. She brought me some kind of mocha, latte, caffeine-ridden cup of something that she had gotten downtown, handed it to me. She asked me for something because she had the day off. I was there. I said, sure. I opened up the drawer, and there they were. 35 Hershey Deluxe, um, what were they called? Deluxe Kisses 35-piece gift box. Elegant gold foils, like triple the size of your regular. You guys know what those are, right? The accursed thing. There it was in my desk. She says, give me those. She took her shirt like this. Come on, put them there. So I just put them in the shirt. She carries them out, puts them in a bowl for the office to eat the accursed things. She says, what else do you have? I said... Uh, I got some chips in the bottom drawer. <laughs> but that's not what I'm talking about. Some of us, we really do have a problem with food. Um, but there are things in life that will destroy your life. You know, eating is probably one of them for a lot of Americans, right? But there are other things that really will kill our lives. Sin hurts everyone. And look in verse 1 what we see. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things, for Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, uh-oh, how would you like to be named for all eternity that your grandson, your great-grandson uh, um, did something that he shouldn't have done? It's kind of tough for these people, right? They had to watch. Sometimes we have to watch people that we love. They get named 
in some kind of uh, um, compromise. The tribe of Judah uh, took the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. <clears throat> the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Does God get angry? Um, God gets angry, and uh, it, we, we don't like to think that. We oftentimes think that God is uh, love and only love, but he's also justice. If you love your child, will you discipline him or her? Will you not give them something that they ask for and insist upon? Of course, you'll have justice with mercy, love and wrath both. Uh, you know, we all have secrets, right? Uh, sometimes we call those secrets confidentiality. Sometimes we call them HIPAA law. Sometimes we call them trust. Sometimes we call it privacy, respect, good secrets. Sometimes we have bad secrets. We call them concealment, cover-up, disguise, hypocrisy, betrayal, compromise, gossip, talking behind the back, disobedience, duplicity, two-facedness, secrets. This chapter is really about a secret. What happens? They've just crossed over the river Jordan. They're on the West Bank, the same West Bank that exists today in Israel, the West Bank of the Jordan, and there they are. They capture Jericho. The next place to go is up the mountain, about 4,000-foot climb from 1,000 feet below sea level to 3,000 feet above sea level. Joshua sends a group out to check out the city, and we come in verse 3. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people, for the people of Ai are few. Ah, human perspective. This isn't really all that dangerous. We don't need to send the 600,000 men of war that we have. We don't need to weary them all. We only need to send up 3,000. We know at the time of the Exodus, there were probably 2 to 3 million Israelites 600,000 men of war, they make an assessment. We shouldn't send everybody up there. We'll only send up 3,000. They looked at the physical circumstances. They looked on the outward appearance, and God looked on their heart. When the leadership absolves God's people from being together, a hundred percent, and starts to think humanly like we only need a partial sacrifice, we need to get ready for defeat. Because what should have been a small victory ends up to be a major 
defeat. What they should have said before they went up to Ai, they should have said, God, this is a small city. It doesn't look all that difficult to conquer. What would you want us to do? But instead, they looked at it humanly. A lot of times we do that. We look at things and people as humans, oh, he doesn't look that dangerous to me. Maybe I'll go out with him. His compromise isn't that great. Maybe I'll hang out with him. Folks, listen, when you make a physical evaluation of somebody externally, instead of asking God what's really going on here, and God would have said, listen, you have some sin. You better not take one step up that mountain until you deal with what's internally wrong with the children of Israel. It's not about you. It's not about them. It's not about how many. The Lord can save by many or by few. It's about the heart of the Christian. They go up and they lose people. The heart of the people melts because of a defeat. And then you have the bellyaching start. Um, those of you who are prone to this, you can just go to sleep now. I know none of you complain. We're all positive and happy here at Mount Calvary, especially the leadership. Joshua. Let's look at Joshua. What did he do once the people lost the victory? Beginning in verse 5, the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, and they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over this Jordan at all? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Oh, that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? I, General Joshua, what am I going to do? We've turned back. We've lost 36 men. The Canaanites are already starting to talk. We got rumors that we're weak. Hey, and God, what about you? This is all your fault. What are you going to do about your great name? So when bad things happen, what do we do? We sit home and we open up the Doritos and we eat all night long. God, I'm going to soak my tears with chips and dip. I would do ministry, but I'm defeated. The people around me are defeated. And then he says this, Oh, that we had been content. Second-guessing the decisions that we've made. 
unnecessary that regrets. We wish we never had left the peaceful side of the Jordan. The West Bank is riddled with battles. I want to live on the east side. In fact, I'm going to make an appointment with Remax East Coast Properties. I want a nice house on the Jordan on the east side with a bulkhead where I can tie up my Boston whaler and go fishing with my children. We don't want West Coast, uh, uh, West Bank life. We want East Bank life. And Joshua, leader of three million people, lost 36, and he's wishing he could go back because it was so much better on the other side. In a moment of weakness, it doesn't matter what kind of general you are. You can moan and bellyache even after having seen the amazing power of God. Right? I wish I had never come to Elizabethtown. Oh, if I only had kept my kids in those schools. If I only had not let my child go play with this person. If only this. If Of all the words of tongue or pen, the saddest of all, it might have been. Listen, if you're going to think that you've made the wrong choice to arrive here where you are today, you have to doubt the sovereignty of God, that God knew that you would be exactly where you were, are today, even with all your failures, even with all our failures, God knew that. God, what are you going to do about your great name? After all, I've made a mess of my life. I, uh, other people have hurt me. Which, what should I do? In verse 10, God gives an answer, and the answer is this. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Get up. Why are you on your face? Like, is this your problem? Do you have a problem or something? And by the way, I don't like being blamed about this. Uh, Israel has sinned. Don't blame me. Get off your face. It's not your fault either. There's a problem here, and you're the leader, and you need to rectify it. Get up. Now, sometimes we have issues in our life that other people have brought in, right? Um, and we end up, Israel has sinned. There's bad stuff happening to us because someone in our midst did something that was wrong. So there's this kind of collective responsibility for sin, but there's an individual responsibility. Sometimes, you know what happens to us? We get into trouble in our life, and it's not our fault. Has that ever happened to you? Some of you can't let go of what your father did to you, or your mother did to you, or an aunt, or an uncle, or somebody next door, and you're having to suffer in the same way Israel suffered because of Achan, we suffer because of other people's decision-making, right? <clears throat> and then we end up God saying, you know, collectively, you're responsible for your sin, and there's something wrong 
one man among the millions did what he shouldn't have done, and my presence is not going with you. Neither will I be with you anymore. A lot of times what happens in our lives, we think that God is not close to us. And, you know, it might be true. Maybe you don't feel God's presence. And maybe he's not with you. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but maybe we've quenched it. Maybe we had a collective responsibility to do something and we didn't do it. Or maybe somebody that you don't even know about has influenced your life in a disparaging, negative way, and it spills over into your life, and you don't even know that. And you're on your face saying, God, what have I done? What have I done? What about your great name? And God's saying, get up, please. The problem is over there. Now, we have to deal with what's over there, but that's your problem. It's Israel's problem, but it's also that individual's problem. Moses learned this in Exodus 33. Moses said, don't take us up from here if your presence does not go with us. Do you have the presence of God? Some of you might not know Christ. Uh, I would say probably that God's presence is not with you and that you should not go up from here. You shouldn't go on in life without resolving your uh, relationship with God. So then, we have this command that God says, sanctify the people and say, he says this to Joshua, sanctify the people, say, sanctify yourselves. What does the word sanctify mean? Sanctify means to be holy, to be pure, to be clean. Um, Our Father who art in heaven Holy be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We must begin with God's holiness because that, in turn, speaks to what we need to do. Sanctify yourselves. Say to the people, sanctify yourselves. Now, I'll say to the public committee, you can get a resume. It can have all the right answers on it. It can have experience, seminary degrees, um, uh, writings, books, uh, references. But if that man is not sanctified, you don't want him. We as a church don't want someone who does not understand the holiness of God. Because taking the land in the future, whatever that looks like for Mount Calvary Church, exists when there's holiness on the part of the people. And this is what we see in verse 19 of chapter 7. Joshua makes his way down the line until we actually discover where the issue lies. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to God, the God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. 
Give glory to the God of Israel and make confession to him. Why does it give God glory that when we speak the truth? Why is God glorified when we confess? Because God is holy, and when we are honest and cleansed, we reflect him. When we're defiled, we don't look like the Christ we profess in our Christian label. What is the quality of your holiness? Listen, when our car stops working, we take it to the shop and get it fixed. When we have pains in our body, we go to the doctor to get medicine or to get operated upon. When we're coaching and there's someone that's hurting the team, we pull them off the field or off the court. <clears throat> and how is it when we have sin in our lives and it's hurting the team and our spiritual car and body is not functioning right, we don't fix it. <clears throat> Give glory to the Lord of Israel, make confession to him. Secrets, we all have them. Uh, God's glory is kind of the great leveler, isn't it? The chief end of man is to glorify God, according to the Westminster Catechism. What's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If you apply the principle of God's glory to what you're doing, is what I'm about to do, is the decision I'm about to make on Monday morning going to bring glory to God? We better pull back if the answer is no. Is getting together with somebody going to bring glory to God? Is dispensing my money in a certain way going to give glory to God? Speaking what comes out of my mouth, does that give glory to God? Is there truth in that or is there falsehood in that? <clears throat> if you're not transparent about your sin, if I'm not transparent about my sin, we'll probably never be transparent about the redemption that comes with it. Uh, can't you imagine Achan? They ask Achan, hey, what did you do? Where is it? Um, I, I, I touched the Babylonian garment. I've touched the Babylonian garment. I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment. And so I took it and I hid it in my tent. Why are, why are you picking on me? Can't you just picture Joshua saying, hey, listen, I've risked my life. I've risked my family. I've gone to war. Shouldn't we be fighting the Canaanites? Why are you starting trouble inside of Israel? 
hey, we shouldn't be fighting one another. We should be fighting them out there. Why are you talking to me about my sin? Can't you see see, uh, him saying, you're nitpicking? I faithfully followed the cloud for 40 years, and here I'm risking my life, and, you know, I give my money. I give, I give my time, my children. We're here. And now you're, like, getting all upset about a little Babylonian garment? Hey, there's 3 million people. Why are you picking on me? But Achan doesn't say that. He says, I saw among the spoils the beautiful Babylonian garment. And it says in the scriptures in verses 11 and 15 that God says, you've got somebody that's transgressed the covenant. The agreement was, you're going to go in there, you're going to have the spoils of war, but for, for right now, you don't touch any of that stuff. I've got something to, to say to you. Some of you right now are conceptualizing a way how you can compromise yourself. You see in life somewhere a Babylonian garment. Now, I don't know what that looks like. It might look like money. It might look like an illicit relationship. It might look like uh, a job that's not quite above board. Leave it where it lays. Don't pick it up. I'm telling you, don't go there. You will regret it for the rest of your life. Why doesn't God want Achan to have that Babylonian garment? What's wrong with a Babylonian garment? It's beautiful. You put it on. But you know what? Today, it's the Babylonian garment. And next, tomorrow, you're in AI. And there's the AI idol. And you take that. And then the next day is the Edomite vacation. And the next day is the Moabite University. And the next day is the Assyrian discounts. And we go from one sin to another to another because we refuse to separate ourselves from the Babylonians. Look, honey, I've got... I got 20% off at Kohl's, and I used my Kohl's cash to buy the Babylonian garment. Kohl's, <laughs> I shouldn't probably say that. We justify our, our expenditures, and we dabble in the world. It's just a Babylonian garment. When you, when you put on the clothing of the Babylonian, you start to talk like the Babylonian. You start to act like the Babylonian. And you start wishing you were in Babylon just like them. And then your children marry the Babylonians. And then you have Babylonian grandchildren. God is saying, hey, right now, this is the beginning. It's a new start for you. You've got to learn the ways of war. And the ways of war are not dependent upon how big the city is or, or, or how many of this or how many college degrees your new pastor has. It's based on whether there's holiness in the church. Because victory follows the fear of God. Job said this at the end of chapter 28 of the book of Job. Job says, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Just to depart from evil shows that you know more than the next guy. You young people who have learning difficulties 
and I'm serious as a heart attack. You young people who have learning difficulties, listen to what I'm going to say to you. If you know how to say no, you are smarter than 99% of the kids in your class. That's all you have to do. To depart from evil is understanding. Listen, folks, when holiness is in the church, victory is right around the corner. Holiness and then victory. Not methodology. When we have a God-centered glorification, passion, passion for Christ, that's when God will do something somewhere that will bring people here. Now, sanctification isn't like, okay, I've got to get this right. You know, I've got, okay, I've got to get up and read my Bible every morning, and I, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. No. Here, sanctification is just saying the truth about yourself. Yes. I saw among the spoils the Babylonian garment, and I took it. And Joshua asks, why have you troubled us? So after the transparency, things don't go so well for him. Thankfully, we live in the new covenant, not the old covenant. Uh, right? Why have you troubled us? You know, there's not a person in here who isn't Joshua and who isn't Achan. We're both Joshua and Achan at the same time. On the one hand, we're a leader, and we need to confront people. And on the other hand, we're people who bury stuff in our tent when we got really no business to putting stuff in our tent. All right? Hear now the parable of the church worker. He was busy with ministry. He did speaking and teaching and helping and serving. He even pulled pork yesterday. Saw that on Facebook. Sorry, couldn't make it. It's getting ready for today. Serve on the elder board. Serve on the deacon board. But you know, he's having problems with his wife. And so there was a, somebody who served him at a, at a, at a dinner. Uh, and he was happy to have a conversation because he had really kind of a uh, dearth of... Uh, good rapport with his wife. So he developed a relationship with this woman, and one thing led to another, and they had to start burying their secrets. Hear now the parable of the young Christian school student. She was a model of ministry uh, to the other students. She was a member of Christian clubs. She got good grades. She listened to her parents. She, one day, she was out with her friends, and one of her friends said, hey, I'm taking these cool pills. They help with depression. So she was kind of sad that day, and she was introduced to opioids and was told that it helped for depression, but she didn't learn that it was just for a few hours and then you would bottom out again and then it would, you would get addicted and you would ruin your life and your future would be gone, you'd be hooked and all your dreams about marriage and having a family and going to college are going to go down the drain because you walk down that road. It's the Babylonian garment that should never be touched and you pick it up and destroy your life and not only that but it enters into the community. 
We have to say no because God's best is right around the corner. We have to say yes to the elder board when they ask us, yes to the deacon board when they ask us, yes to the Sunday school director when they ask us to teach. When the home group director says, will you help us out? You say yes. You don't say, no, I can't because I have the Babylonian garment and it is buried in my tent and I am not going to dig it up. I would rather say no to you, say no to God, rather than say yes and have God's blessing fall on my family. One of the hardest things to observe in a church is to see great people who have so much of God's blessing and spirit and power on them to say no because they refuse to dig up the Babylonian garment and get rid of it. Why have you troubled us? So we come to verse 26. They raised over him a great heap of stones. The last time, do you remember... Uh, I believe Ray preached a sermon a few weeks ago. They pulled stones out of the Jordan. What did they do with them? They made a great heap of stones. And it was a memorial to how great God was and that he parted the Jordan and they walked through on dry land. So each of the tribes gets a big rock and they take it out and they make a big pile. Here we have the same thing. They burn him with fire and they pile him up with rocks. Verse 26... It says this, and they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. You know, uh, there's a memorial that usually accompanies compromise, and it isn't a good one. Usually we remember and we are immortalized for our mistakes, Right? Think of all your sports figures that, that lost it for their team. Sometimes we remember them better than the, than the victor. <clears throat> the last thing that, that I want to say, I'm, I don't know if somebody's preaching on chapter 8 next week. After they deal with the problem, this is what happens. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all of the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. I've given it into your hands. Um, I'm going to give an invitation in a few minutes. We don't usually do this, but I'm going to do it today. And I'll tell you why I'm going to do it. I like uh, maybe, uh, Jay, you can prepare to play the the song. You know, some of you are just like Joshua. Somebody buried something in their tent, and that defeat got thrown into your life, and you've been defeated. Some of you are like Achan. You've brought shame upon your family. You've brought shame upon the church. You've brought shame maybe in your workplace because you did something that was really not of God. And probably all of us, are both of those. But you know, the remedy is collective. Arise, let all of you go up. Um, I want to read six or seven verses from the book of Isaiah, and I want you to to listen to this. Um, Strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that that are of a fearful heart, be strong, Fear not. 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a deer and the tongue of the mute sing. For in the wilderness shall be waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there and a way and it shall be called the way of holiness. Our church, we're about to hire a pastor. The victory is in the people of God and the holiness of God. It is not in a man. When God's people are holy and they seek the face of Christ, God will do something with that church. He will find a way to do something with that church. I'd like the worship team to come. <clears throat> I'm going to invite you to come and pray for our church as the, as the, uh, the pulpit, the, the search team for the pastor is getting to the end of the road and they're interviewing people. Um, and uh, they will probably make a decision to make a recommendation. We need to pray for them. Um, maybe um, our, the sin in our lives has caused us to stumble as a church. And we're at a critical moment. We, we, can, we can wish we were back the way things used to be. Uh, we can say, I don't want to go up and fight the battles that are uh, in front of us. Or we can consecrate ourselves as the text said, say to the people, sanctify yourselves. So my message for you and for me is that we in a church need to sanctify ourselves. I invite you to either kneel where you are or come to the front and pray that God would give us his man and that we would be sanctified and whatever victory lies in the future, uh, it's God's. It's not from a human perspective, it's from God's perspective. Let's all stand, and if, I'd invite you to come to the front or kneel where you are.